Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I am the publisher on Women's Agenda and I am with Editor-in-Chief Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hello, hello. On the agenda today, a little bit of Kim Kardashian, which we don't usually get to on Women's Agenda, but she's come up today. Women in media and how to get more women quoted in the media. The M word, not being media, not being menopause, not being a couple of other M words that we've discussed in recent weeks, but rather being all about money and much more. Thank you for listening. Happy Women's Entrepreneurship Day, Tyler. Thanks, Ange. You too. Are we entrepreneurs? Do we count? I, mean, I think we're accidental entrepreneurs. Accidental I entrepreneurs. Like feel more like a business owner than an entrepreneur, but yes. I feel like more of a hot mess most of the time <laughs> than anything else. <laughs> I have to say, this week I did attend something with other entrepreneurs and I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome being in the room with these people who've raised millions and millions of dollars and were sort of looking at me and just asking why we don't have investors. So it's <laughs> something to consider. So on the agenda today, like we shared, Tala, I believe you have a win that involves Kim Kardashian. Yes. Talk us through that. And it goes beyond the fact that I just love her, oh, which is God. a very contentious <laughs> topic in our, in our office. <laughs> I never knew that you loved her, so there you I go. I genuinely believe that the Kardashians are the most misunderstood group. And I do. I I have a a secret love for their whole family. So what has Kim Kardashian West done that is so awesome in your mind? Kim Kardashian has actually paid for more than 30 members of Afghanistan's women's youth development soccer team to fly to London from Pakistan. They were kind of stuck in Pakistan and their visas were running out and they couldn't pay for their flight. And Kardashian West was contacted by the Rabbi Moshi Margaretan and he'd done a lot of work with this group and he had also worked with Kardashian West on a lot of the criminal rights legislation that she's been pushing through in America as well and he contacted her and he said that maybe an hour later after the Zoom call he'd had with her he got a text message saying that Kim wanted to fund the entire flight and I do think for all we mock the Kardashians I do think that they actually tend to put their money where their mouth is um, when it comes to human rights. I mean obviously they have exceptional wealth. And I think when you have exceptional wealth and exceptional influence, you'd like to think that good people would do that. But I have been impressed with some of the efforts that they have gone to. And I think that this is a really nice story, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast will disagree with me, but I'm holding on to it. Okay. No one's going to disagree that it's not a nice story. Of course, it's a nice story. It's a wonderful story. 30 members of Afghanistan's women's youth development soccer team have arrived in London. Like that is just amazing. I actually heard that story today on the radio and I didn't actually hear the Kim Kardashian West component until you started talking about it in our news meeting earlier. So, but I think that is wonderful that these uh, young girls and their family have arrived and I mean, great for the UK as well. They're going to get all these fantastic soccer talents. So well done everyone involved. Well done to Kardashian West for getting involved. But at the end of the day, she chartered the flight. Like how many flights do these these families charter? They're, every time, I'm hurting you to say this They're right constantly now. on private jets going here and there and, you know, just darting across the world for this and that. And, yeah, so charter the flight, very generous. Thank you for doing that. It's more than lots of governments are doing. You know, I think that we have to give credit where it's due. Yeah, but let's give credit also to these 30 
girls and their families who have managed to uh, flee Afghanistan for Pakistan. And we've heard the stories about how difficult that is. And then they've managed to, um, the coordination effort that's happened behind the scenes to actually come together and to be able to leave Pakistan now and, and make their way to London. It's it's incredible. So, And we know the, the kind of threat and fear that various sports players have been under, female sports players have been under in Afghanistan. And it's heartening to see that a lot of those groups have now found escape paths and, you know, the national football team actually has been resettled in Australia. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just been such a horrifying time for so many women in Afghanistan, so many people in Afghanistan in general. So um, it's it's really nice to see that there are some good news stories coming out of, of that. Yeah, and some still at this point now three months uh, since the Taliban took over took back control of Afghanistan and it felt like if you didn't hear those positive stories back then it was seeming like it was like we were starting to lose hope about what kind of positive stories would come now so it is definitely great to hear that. What's your win? Uh, Well my win is that it is Women's Entrepreneurship Day so a big well wishes to anyone who runs a business and is trying to build a business. Uh, what are you thinking? But no, it's great. I love running this business with you, Tala. I love having a co-founder. That's a great uh, recommendation to other people who might be considering this and where to go. I have to say that having a co-founder is so wonderful to bring into your world and makes it so easy to bounce ideas off and to share that journey with. And, you know, you become family, like we're family, your family's my family, my family's your family, it all happens. But um, I guess to the day itself, I mean, the way I see it at least, it's not a day that's all about women who raise huge amounts of capital or are building unicorns although that's obviously always nice to celebrate. But this day was actually started as a way to recognise the positive impact that entrepreneurship and women-led businesses have on improving the world, on improving outcomes for families and communities and on breaking the cycle of poverty. So I think that it's so nice to have a day that recognises that and aims to celebrate that and highlight the importance of that internationally because we've got 250 million women and girls live in poverty around the world and we do know that one way to breaking the cycle and getting more of those women and girls participating in the economy is through microcredit loans that help these women start businesses, that help them build businesses and take control and empower them to take control of their futures. So I think great to celebrate that and acknowledge that and see how more of us can get involved. And nice to have another Women's Entrepreneurship Day. And Tala, I think it's also a good day, especially this year, given everything that's gone with the pandemic, but to locally here acknowledge what more businesses can do to support female-led businesses, particularly coming out of the pandemic, whatever 2022 looks like, and what more consumers and and other people and women just like us can do to celebrate uh, local businesses in our area and local businesses, uh, particularly in the lead up to Christmas, who may have been doing it tough. And this is a great opportunity to try and make up for some of the shortfalls that they've experienced in revenue. You've written on this today. Yeah, I mean, we have, I wrote a feature, it was supported by QVWC, which is the the Queen Victoria Women's Centre in Melbourne. And it's just an awesome organisation, basically a space for female designers and and those in the creative arts to come together and and to have a space to hold meetings, to host events. Um, But also there's a, a shop where they basically hold products and wares of a lot of different designers and producers and makers. So 
I had the privilege of speaking with a number of those women and reflecting on the last couple of years and how hard it's been for them to to kind of grow their businesses. A lot of them are sole traders. But some of these businesses are just so amazing. I've actually already bought several items off these women for Christmas presents. Some of the things are so cool. Like there's a company called High Tees. The founder produces these T-shirts with feminist icons on them. They're just really cool and there's other other products like ceramics and earrings and various other things. So definitely get behind local makers, have a look at QVWC. They have a whole range of women to support there. Um, but I think that's right. I think we really do need to to shop locally this Christmas and to support local business. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It definitely is the opportunity to do that and I hope more of us will do that and remember that. This Women's Entrepreneurship Day. I said it again. <laughs> so on the agenda this week, so I saw that Jessie too has written this great piece looking at the Women for Media report that just came out this week. And we've been reporting on this report since it started back in 2012. So it sat close to my heart for a long time because before I was editing Women's Agenda and before we were running this business, I was a business reporter, a tech reporter. I worked across a lot of industries that are typically male dominated. And I can say that most of the people I interviewed across those industries were men. And I was probably not as aware as I should have been or I would absolutely be now on the need to get diversity in our sources. But I did find that there were a number of blockers along the way. Like you might find that PR companies or media departments in a big corporation or something would be, they'd typically say it had to be this level of person, this kind of seniority, which inevitably meant because men hold far more positions in leadership than women, and especially back then, inevitably meant that you would end up speaking with a male source. And you, you see that on some conference programs as well, I notice, where the conference organisers say that anyone who speaks on this conference has to be, say, a CEO of a ASX 500 or something. And that automatically means that you've got a very small pool of uh, women to select from to be participating in those sessions. And it also means that you won't get any diversity in the event much at all. So um, we always argue that if that's your definition as a conference producer, you need to go back and change your definition because it's not going to be a particularly great conference if you only hear from the same type of people. So, um, but this report, just some of the key findings. So basically they analysed 57,000 online news articles that were published in May this year across major outlets like The Telegraph, The Australian, The Australian Financial Review, The Guardian, the SMH, things like that. And they found that um, so men's voices were dominating. So they analysed this according to she said, he said, and they found that she said appeared in 32% of the quotes in articles while he said made up 68% of the quotes. So women still, you know, less than a third of quotes in media which is still concerning, and but it's actually an improvement. Back in 2012, it was 20%. So there is some changes there. But what we do see in these reports is how things shift when you look across different industries. And so, first of all, opinion pieces continue to be mainly written by men. Different publications have different variances in terms of how they're going on gender as well. Women tend to dominate in stories concerning health and lifestyle. Men tend to dominate in stories about sport, business, uh, finance, and still politics. So, 
so many gaps that we need to fill here. There's so much work still to be done. And um, I mean, this is really only looking at gender because then we can look at all the other aspects of diversity that we need to explore in the media also. But for now, I just think that it shows that, you know, improvements, but we still have work to do. Yeah, pretty significant work. I mean, if you look at the Australian Fin Review, only 26% of those quoted in the Fin Review are, are women. So, it's a real concern. And I, I don't know, when I think about this, I just think about what we lose as well when you don't have female voices in the mix across various areas of reporting, then you surely lose a, a whole range of perspectives. Um, and we've seen that across issues like climate change, which we know impacts women in a completely different way that it impacts men. So if we're only reporting it predominantly those who are reporting on climate change are men. Are we missing out on that lens? Are we missing out on those stories and that perspective of the impact on women? Um, And I think that that's a real problem as well. I really, I don't know, I've long thought that media, and I don't know how this would be implemented, but I'd love to see quotas of some description implemented in media. I think it's just so, it's so vital to have equality in that industry in particular. I really worry about our future and the way that things are being told to us if they're only being shared in one way and through one lens. Yeah, well, the quota thing is interesting. It has been brought up in the past, not in terms of any kind of legislative aspect. I think that would be going too far. But in terms of um, how editors and newsrooms can have their own quotas on stories and really push the journalists to try to do a little bit better on those sources and to make sure that whether that's having at least one female source included, um, I don't know what that looks like, but it's certainly been trialed. It's certainly been discussed and there are definitely, um, I mean, it might be Bloomberg or something that does have that, or at least did have that a couple of years ago and were experimenting with that and trialing with it. And then on the flip side of that are programs and the BBC has a really great program around this that, and same with the ABC as well, where they're really taking women through how to speak with the media. So how to be a female source, how to get your opinions heard and making sure that as many people as possible have opportunities to those sorts of programs so they can get across just some of the um, key things that sources who deal with the media all the time may just already know just on account of the experience that they've had in dealing with that and that can be a real game changer because I think one of the things that you also find is that I would certainly say this not I mean, this is a, a generalization I know but I'd certainly say this about when I was reporting on business is that I often would find that that women might be a little bit more hesitant than than men to be a source and particularly to be a source off the record often too which really can help relationships with journalists to be that source off the record so um, sometimes I, I do feel like there is a sense of um, uh, lifting some more confidence there and I can understand why people would like confidence there because when you see often how women are treated in the media, it's not particularly uh, always nice. And also if you do look through business pages, you pretty much always see men. So you can understand why some women might be a little bit hesitant there to to reach out to journalists to try and get quoted in stories and things like that. But there are many opportunities and to highlight you know entrepreneurship day as well there are many opportunities I believe for women uh, leading businesses to reach out to more journalists across um, not just women's agenda just because you're a women like you know you can be quoted and covered in other publications that are not just women's agenda um, and to try and get more of those stories you know 
off a platform like ours and into that mainstream media, into those business pages, into the AFR and into uh, the national papers and things like that. Yeah. I do want to note quickly just some of the incredible female journalists and reporters that we have seen over the last year, though, really lift the lid on so many issues um, of great consequence um, at the moment. So there are no shortage really, but women like Samantha Maiden and um, Louise Milligan and um, Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales and, you know, there are just so many female journalists that have really kind of put themselves out there and um, reported on things that are typically not addressed in the mainstream and I feel like they've been real trailblazers in this space and in this time as well. So, Ange, we might move on to our latest FinHack segment, which is our new money segment that is supported by Superhero, which is the app that makes investing accessible and affordable for everyone. And this week, we're looking at the notion of normalising financial conversations to improve money fairness for women. And this is based off some new research from Lonergan um, commissioned by Afterpay, which shows that there's a, an issue around the conversation of money for women and how we make it, spend it, save it. And the survey was of more than 2,000 Australian adults and it found that an overwhelming 81% believe the topic of finances and money is still taboo and that two-thirds, 62% of women, believe that they are at greater disadvantage than men as a result of money being a sensitive topic compared to less than half, 46% of men who believe that to be true. And what are your thoughts on this? Well, my first thoughts were also looking at some of the added figures there, which was for the younger generation, so Gen Z, with three quarters of them saying that they're comfortable discussing money and salary with their friends and 75% saying that they're comfortable chatting about their savings. So clearly there's been some kind of shift at that level, but it could be that older generations for whatever reason, but I think we can possibly guess some of those reasons, um, have not been comfortable discussing money. And, you know, I can understand why it is a difficult topic, particularly amongst women. And that's often because we haven't always had a lot of it. So, or we have more of it than other people, or we have less than other people. So, there can always be this element of shame or guilt or whatever it is. Um, And then there's that sense of when you look at the you know, the gender pay gap and if you have those discussions with friends and you realise that you're being paid less and there is, again, that sort of sense of, and I've felt this, that almost, I wouldn't call it shame, but I might use the word guilt, guilt to myself of like, how did I get myself in this situation? <laughs> how is it that I'm earning this and others are earning this and that and that and I haven't really spoken up for myself enough? So I can sense that there are issues at play that go back to whatever it is and clearly I mean well as this survey finds those issues are a little different between men and women I do find it interesting that 81% of people say that the topic of finances and money is still taboo because I wouldn't actually think that when I sometimes overhear conversations or um, involved in bigger conversations and things like that when people just seem to always be talking about um, how much they spent on their house or how much their property has increased by in value. So in, in certain circles, you do, um, you can overhear these conversations, but it's not necessarily happening at a different level or a different part of uh, your circle or whatever it is. What do you make of it? I'm sure you've got some tips from this. I think it's definitely a generational thing. Um, 
I notice it with my partner's family in particular, um, and I don't think that they'd be upset with me noting this, but, uh, like, money is just not a topic that they feel comfortable discussing freely at all, and especially his parents who are in their 60s. Um, My parents are a little different, um, but I will say my mum doesn't have very good financial nous and and never has done. She's always worked full-time. She's been quite fiercely independent in lots of other ways, but she's, she's never really um gained a lot of financial independence and and my dad has always you know had control of that and i think that's a common story for for women of that generation um but i do think it's so critical and i know i've banged on about this a bit this year but i do think it is really critical that people do have those conversations i think especially with your partner or your manager um Talking about money freely uh, can save you a lot of grief in the long term um, and really kind of getting a sense of where people sit and and being clear on what your ambitions are and why it's not a dirty topic because it just isn't. Um, And I think there is a lot of social hesitancy um, for women especially um, to talk about money because of social prescriptions and gender stereotypes and and other things, complex, nuanced issues that have existed for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, look, I, I I would just encourage everyone to have that those kind of transparent dialogue um, around expectations and and arming yourself with as much knowledge as possible um, when it comes to your finances, whether that be um, in researching around what you can do to better invest your money, um, to better save your money. um, And and when it comes to talking with managers, you know, opening up those direct lines of communication around what you expect in your career, where you want to get to, um, and you know how that how that aligns with with where you want to be um, in terms of of your you know money situation as well. Um, so that those are my tips. They're not particularly um, you know then they're not exactly complex tips, but. I just want to kind of reiterate the point that we just need to not shut up about cash. I think it's, um, I think it's really important to talk about it. Yeah, have the conversation. You might find that it shows you that, um, you know, it may tell you something about your salary that you didn't realise or it may tell you something about your worth that you didn't realise. Like have those conversations. Like I've certainly had them with my friends and, and colleagues who are in similar industries and position to me and it makes you think like, Am I doing everything that I could be doing? Is there a little bit more I could be pushing on to try and earn a bit more here? So it's definitely worthwhile. And there are just ways of doing it without being a jerk. Like I get that we have, you know, women are historically more (laughs) empathetic, I think, think in lots of ways. And I think that um, because of that, we do probably hold back from from talking about it and feeling comfortable talking about it um and especially as you noted if you're if you think that you're in a better position than than other people but you just it, it doesn't ever need to come from that place of of arrogance it's just about um really having the the right knowledge and um and being able to progress in your future in the right way so thanks again to superhero for bringing us this week's fin hack and you can learn more about your options at superhero.com.au or download the superhero app um and thank you again to to superhero for for supporting the women's agenda podcast because it does help us to get this out every week Mm -hmm.
Well, Tyler, that is the end of the episode. Anything to leave us with, any recommendations that don't involve the Kardashians (laughs) or keeping up with them in whatever way Uh, is required? If anything, I want to keep up with them even more now. Um, (laughs) Maybe they'll charter you a jet to to some tropical island and you can hang out (laughs) with Kim and Co. Jessie too did write a great piece for us this week around the – five feminist Christmas movies that you can watch without wanting to kill yourself. So um, <laughs> I would encourage I would encourage everyone to to get behind those this weekend. And um, What are they? <laughs> well, there are a few. There are a few. The first one You're is, leaving me hanging here. What are they? <laughs> I'm encouraging people to go and read Jessie's piece. Um, <laughs> no, there are. There's um, the newest one from Netflix, which is called Love Hard, which we um, spoken about briefly on the podcast before um, last Christmas, which I think is a little bit of a contentious contender, to be honest. I was not a fan of this film, but I agree that it's probably not. Um, it's all, it's not reinforcing negative tropes about women, which is always a positive thing. Um, Jesse has all, also put in Happiest Season with Kirsten Stewart. Uh, while you were sleeping, an old time classic. Yeah, <laughs> and also Carol, um, which came out in 2015 with Kate Blanchett. Uh, oh, so, I love that one too. Yeah, nice one, Jesse. I have not seen Happiest Season, and I have not seen Last Christmas, and I haven't seen Love Hard, even though I promised you last year, last week. So, and those three were all made in the last couple of years. So. I will go and check them out. Thank you for the recommendations. Again, Tala via Jesse. It's always the way. It's always the way. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can find all the stories that we've discussed in some shape or form on our website where you can also find more on Jesse's recommendations for the Christmas season. Uh, You can watch the trailers for all five of those movies there. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter to get all these stories and more as they are breaking, as we are learning about them ourselves and as we are publishing them ourselves. So womensagenda.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you for listening.